Welcome to Rainmakers. Now to our host, Carl Grant. Welcome to Rainmakers. I'm here with AJ Meditz, a financial advisor with UBS. Welcome, AJ. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, AJ, uh, you and I were introduced by a mutual friend, and uh, we've been spending some time getting to know each other. And um, tell me a little bit about your background coming out of uh, Baylor University and then getting into sales and then uh, your role with ADP. And, and, and tell us how kind of your, your career has progressed to what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, thanks for thanks for having me. Um, I've enjoyed listening to the the past podcast you you posted, and you know, lucky to be on here. So, um, a little history about myself, I guess, on the business end and the school end. So, I, I did undergrad at Baylor, um, and graduating from there, I then started working for ADP, which is Automatic Data Processing. Um, that was really uh, my first official sales job, but you know, sales for me started in school actually. So I worked with uh, the Southwestern company and, and most people won't know the company unless you've run into it by accident, but there it's a very old internship. They actually originally started um, selling Bibles door to door right after the civil war because there were no jobs in the South. And so that business iteration then changed to educational products. And, you know, every summer you have, you know, a couple thousand kids that go around the country and you essentially run door to door sales in different States and so my first date was Alabama and my second year was in South Carolina. And that, you know, almost cr crazy type of experience where you're running 70 to 80 hour weeks was really um, a very good eye opener to the, the very extreme end of sales. Like, how do you actually make, you know, decisions possible for people you don't know when you met 30 minutes ago? Mm -hmm. And so go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to say, and, and so to, to do what you do. Yeah, you've got to you've got to really differentiate yourself, right? Because in, in what I do, leading the business development team for a um, leading law firm, I, I meet a, right. a lot of wealthy people, but I also meet a lot of wealth yeah, advisors. Sure. And I and I always jokingly tell a new wealth advisor when I meet them, I know more wealth advisors than I do wealthy people. <laughs> so, <You're right. laughs> so so you really have to di differentiate yourself. Um, and and I'm just curious how you do that. Yeah. So. Uh... Uh, to your point, I mean, everyone we, everyone I talk to, I, I always tell them as a joke, you probably know 10 to 15 of me. Um, the, the way I try to do that is really approach it from a non-business sense. So when you're meeting someone that has, everyone has a unique story, it's a question of trying to understand what their story is. And then in that interaction, really finding something that is almost like a fascination of sorts whether it be business related or something in their life, or even maybe something that, that I've had um, access to in my life that is different, that creates a change. And instead of just being the blase over quote unquote networking, um, it's really something that adds you know, interest. And again, to use the word fascination, because I, I feel like the word you know, value is overused now in networking, everybody's trying to add value. Um, and it makes it memorable because whether business happens or whether it doesn't, my, my business cycle is very slow. So business could happen in a month or two. It could happen in five years. Um, my goal is always to have, if that network is some, if that, if that connection is something that is, is meant to last, maybe it lasts as just a professional friendship for many years. Maybe business ever happens, but maybe they know people that can do business with me and maybe, maybe I can help them with business on their end. Mm -hmm. 
And I've, I've noticed on your bio that you are on the board or members are involved with many organizations. I, I'm involved with a lot of stuff, but you're really involved. There's a lot of stuff here. So, maybe, maybe over-involved. Well, yeah, but so, so, I mean, talk talk to me about some of these organizations that you're involved with and and how that plays into into your job and your network and and finding, you know, like meeting people. Yeah, so um, I guess my goal coming out of school was, and maybe maybe this is true for, for many people, is you don't really know what you don't know, and you don't really know how to be useful at anything because you're just you're brand new. So my my goal, with that being said, was to join as many different organizations as I could find that I thought would have people that knew what they're doing and were successful at business, and that would be you know boards on nonprofits, um, organizations that were connected to, for example, Parks and Wildlife and you know, the Symphony and the Opera and various groups. But doing that, I think I, I learned really, I really got out of it what I was expecting to get out of it, which was meeting people who had become very successful at what the, whatever they were doing. But then I'm learning from them from a post-fact sense. Some of them were retired. Some of them were, you know, obviously at that point, wealthy enough to not really have to worry about working anymore. And then seeing the back end of what a career looks like to what are you going to do after money's not a concern anymore. And so that, that was eye-opening for me. I think it gave me a lot of perspective. Um, plus it also, you know, it allows you to stay very involved in the community because I feel like if you just only do your work and your job, you're missing out on a living, breathing organism, which is the community that you know everyone has around them. It doesn't matter where you live. If you don't participate, you, I think, I, I believe you, you just miss out on, you know, some great relationships. Absolutely. And so one of my observations over time, and I've been at this a long time, is that the strongest connections, and, and tell me if, if you, if you found it different, because you've, you've obviously been involved with a lot of stuff, are right. organizations where you share a common faith or a common culture. So religious mm -hmm. or culturally based organizations and the, the the second most effective organization is where you share a common mission, like you're fighting a disease or some some right. something. Do do you find it the same, or did you find it different? Um, I would yeah, I would have to agree with that. Uh, I would say maybe maybe to add a little bit on the second one. So obviously, the common mission is a huge driver because if you're going to a lot of the organizations I'm a part of are, are non-paying, they're they're nonprofit, they're volunteer. Um, and they're just interest-based, so you don't get paid for giving your time. But if the mission correlates with you know how you see your the world and how you are trying to impact the world, I think that's that's huge. And then the second add to that is if an organization is not so much you know altruistically focused, that is you know like a nonprofit or something that's directly impacting and trying to help society. If I can belong to a group of people that are just building. It doesn't matter what they're building in. If they're just trying to build where they're at in life, whether it be through their work or just, you know, their monetary position, or or even if it doesn't relate to the things we normally talk about, if they're just trying to learn, um, that that's a huge criteria for me. So the organizations I um, stay a part of for an extended period of time generally have, to your point, collective mission I agree with, and then also, you know, a growth mentality that everybody in there is trying to learn from either the people in that group or just, you know, the community as a whole. So a while back, I, I noticed you're also a competitive concert pianist. Um, uh, yes, in another life. 
but so so what about a shared interest have you connected on that level with people um so that that yeah that doesn't come up i guess it doesn't come up as much as um you'd think it would because it's it really is very uncorrelated it's almost anything i do and so they i think the interest side it helps me connect when i meet with um folks that are in either the creative arts or just music in general because nobody really no one guesses that i had that as part of my background and so some of my experiences i got to do with piano were you know crazy as a kid you know in high school and then right before i went to college but they really were the start to how i view my involvement just as a connector and you know, somebody who's able to take a and b and go a and b should meet but you know why that should happen and then how do we make this happen to where it's actually useful for a and b so are you not playing anymore um i try it's <laughs> it, I, I view it almost in not to you know make piano into an athletic sport but there is a certain level of you know it's going to sound weird like arm stamina so if you're playing a concert for 30 to 30 minutes to an hour uh -huh. um, you actually do have to maintain the stamina in your arms and fingers otherwise you, you will run out of energy and so some of the chops have gone away, but I, I still play some pieces when I can, just just not at the the level that I was back then. Of course, that was yeah. four to five hours of practice a day, you know? Yeah, I, I can relate, relate a little bit in that I took up acoustic guitar and uh, played for a while. And when I moved to Texas, I actually sold my guitar. <laughs> so um, Yeah, I, I, I did guitar for a small amount of time. And, and then it's just, a, it was too many instruments, but um, I took a small dip into classical and you know, acoustic I'm impressed by because you, you've got to have, you know, I think a strong set of fingers and I, classic, classical is just a little different with the nylon strings. Yeah. So look, I, I want to delve into um, yeah. the, the educational stuff a little bit because, mm -hmm. because I, I share a common interest and, and, and what kind of, what kind of motivated it um, kind of you're, you're, you're on into your career. You're not just starting out. I, I see that you, you, you went and you did a, um, an online Harvard course. And and you're you're currently enrolled at, at Harvard and and I went back in 2019 and I did a, a Harvard executive education I I, I just I, oh, nice I wanted it yeah I, I wanted to have that under my belt and, and I wanted to experience Harvard it was it was something I hadn't done and and I, I don't regret it it was it was a fascinating experience I I love the network that I built there especially at the executive ed level where you've got you know 88 people who are all thriving in their field um to go back and sure. connect with yeah. them and, and we're all connected on a whatsapp a group and and so you know i had my motivation for it i, I operate in the venture capital industry and most of the venture capitalists went to harvard so you know right. i i managed to learn under some the same professors they did when they went to graduate school so what did you what motivated you later in life to do this and how did it how do you perceive it you know building into your network yeah so um i it's obviously after undergrad, I was just working. Um, the The grad school question, I think, really came up about three years ago. And it, it was not so much like, what can this do for my career? Because I, I didn't know what it could do for my career at that point. But I did know that I wanted to have it as part of my education and just, you know, additional learning experience going forward. So that was where it started. And then so I applied to a number of schools and um, it, for me, the opinion <laughs> when I'm going after something new is like, why not? And that's always my question. Why not? And so I was like, well, I'm going to try for the, you know, the top of the top, in my opinion. And if there's a way to, to work and gain access through applying to the school, then, you know, I was like, Harvard has to be on that list. And, you know, if I'm able to get in similar to yourself, it's, 
you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a game changing experience. And sometimes I think it could take a couple of years to really get the full impact, but similar, yeah, like, like you said, I have three different WhatsApp channels that every class I take, there's always a new group of, of students that we stay in touch with each other. You don't stay in touch with all 40 or 50 of them, but two or three, like those are new people that I would not have gotten to meet. And now we have a shared interest of we're working through this, you know, relatively difficult degree. And, you know, it's, it's a commonality that we wouldn't have otherwise that, that to me is just added value outside of the, you know, being lucky enough to get access to the degree, you know? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of, a lot of what Harvard's all about is, is the network, right? I mean, I, it is. Yeah. that's yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're part of that club. Um, but I'm sure your Baylor relationships are probably just as meaningful or even more so than any that you would develop at Harvard. So I, I think we both kind of agreed that it's, it's, it's nice to have, but it's maybe somewhat overrated. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe, maybe it's also just testament to, to looking at it through the right lens too. Cause I feel like I've also run into some folks that, you know, maybe take it too seriously. and like, well, you still have to be a competent, you know, individual at your practice or whatever your, your role is in life. And then this is just a, it's a bonus. It's a, it's an add on that, that augments and, you know, it adds value to, to what you're doing. But I think if you use it to define yourself to your point, um, maybe it's, the, maybe it's the wrong way to approach it. I think it's just a, it's a plus. Yeah, completely agree. So I've got, like, like you said, a couple, a couple friends that I took away from there that'll be lifelong friends. And, and, that's, right. and that, that's, that's invaluable, you know, yeah. a couple Absolutely. good contacts, doesn't matter where you get them from, make a, a very healthy network. So, so, so Adriel or AJ as as people yeah. call you, um, <laughs> you know, you, you seem like a grounded guy. You grew up in a, in a, you know, faith background and, and you're getting married this year and, and you're doing well in your career. If, if we have a young person listening today and they say, look, I, I like this guy. I like, I like what I'm hearing. I'd like to do what he does. What rec recommendations do you have for that person to prepare themselves to get ready to do the type of stuff you're doing? Yeah, um, man, I'll try. Uh, so I, I feel like this generation, I think with many past generations is always taught to, you know, follow your dream, follow your passion. And uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you have to find ways, let's say your passion or your dream is not, uh, it doesn't involve making money or, or being able to pay, pay the bills. I think you, what you're not told nowadays is you don't have to give up on that, but you may have to shelve it or do it in the background for a little bit of time. And I think that's not talked about as much, at least in my opinion, because I've seen many folks that have built, you know, successful practices or successful ways to make, you know, considerable amounts of money that actually go back and return to what they considered that was their initial interest or passion, but they weren't sure how to actually monetize it or do it to where they could, you know, live and pay the bills. So my advice would be if you have something like if you would look you want to be an engineer or a doctor or one of the classical degrees that you know, really gives you a ton of value walking out of school. That's great. Or even if you don't want to do school, if you have something that, that makes a ton of money, if you're in, you know, I don't know, one of the industrial degrees or industrial services that makes a lot of money do that. But if you have something that is a passion that is not able to be monetized yet, I feel like you're told now to do one or the other, do it or forget it. And uh, I would say 
don't forget it, just shelve it and keep it in the background until you can turn it on. And I mean, that would be just the one piece of advice that I've discovered through watching many different people do that in a sense. Well, I think that's great advice. AJ Meditz, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us on uh, Rainmakers. And I want to encourage all the listeners today, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and uh, share it with your friends. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, girl. Really appreciate it. You have been listening to Rainmakers with Carl Grant. <laughs>